So we are thinking about this middle word, what does the Spirit do? And just to remind you, the three little parts in the series. So next week is the last date that I'm with you. And when we think about what the Holy Spirit does, I don't know what comes first to your mind whenever you you think of that. Perhaps it's a little bit, well, I'm not quite sure, that's fine, you're in the right place. Or maybe you've heard someone talking about what the Holy Spirit does, or you've seen or experienced something and you're wondering, is that what the Spirit does? What would we say about what He does? But let me remind you first what we said a couple of weeks ago about who he is, because it's always good to start with thinking about who he is as a person. He is fully God. He's one with the Father and with the Son. And although we might find it easier to think about God as a Father or to think about the Lord Jesus as a fellow human being who is also God, the Spirit is also fully God, one and equal with the Father and with the Son. And he is a person, not a human person, but has a a personality, he has a will, he has a mind, he feels, he has all of God's attributes. And he anointed and filled and gifted some people in Israel in the Old Testament. We read about that, especially people with leadership responsibilities. But Christ has poured him out on all Christians. He has baptized all believers in the Holy Spirit. So when we are born again, and I'll say a little bit more about that tonight, then we are baptized in the Spirit and we receive the Spirit. But we ended last time by saying we we need to throw open all the doors in our house. He might live in our house, but we don't want to confine him. He might live in our lives, but we don't want to see him squeezed into just one part. We want to let him guide us and influence us in every part of our lives. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, immediately you might be thinking about some of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives or wondering about miraculous things that he might do. And of course, his work is miraculous in the true sense that he is the living God at work in us. But I want to begin with what the Lord Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. And if you've got a Bible there, we're going to read two little passages from one of the most remarkable parts of the Bible. Because in the chapters that we're dipping into, we have the Lord Jesus speaking just before he went to the cross to his disciples. Uh, And this is very intimate. This is him with his disciples. It's in chapter 13, he washes their feet And he talks about his betrayal somewhere in that. He breaks bread and takes the cup with them and institutes the Lord's Supper, although John doesn't record that. But then in chapters 14 and 15 and 16, he teaches them the things that he really wants to to remind them of at that point. And then in chapter 17, even more remarkably, he prays to his father for them. So wonderful little section of scripture. But two little bits of this talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to read those in reverse order, (laughs) a true Irishman. So we'll look at John 16, verses 4 to 15 first, and then we'll go back to chapter 14. So if you've got your Bible there, what does Jesus say? This is him speaking. I've said these things to you, that when there are comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So here's Jesus speaking to his disciples. He wants them to remember these things. 
I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Words of the Lord Jesus, and he speaks about the Holy Spirit. He calls him the Spirit of Truth, and he calls him the Helper. And we'll see that when we go back. That's the advantage of reading what comes first. If you'd read that first, that might have been clearer. But that's another name for the Holy Spirit. And what does Jesus say here? Well, I find it absolutely amazing. that Jesus says to the disciples, I know when I tell you that I'm going to leave you, that you are sorrowful. I mean, imagine that. Of course they would be. Imagine having lived with Jesus for three years and then being told, I'm going to be leaving you. Hard to comprehend. Wouldn't it be a precious and a wonderful thing if Jesus came and lived in Belfast and we could go and actually be with him? Of course, that's the longing of the Christian's heart, isn't it, to be with Jesus? That's what's going to happen when he comes again for us. But Jesus says to them, it's actually for your advantage. It is good for you that I'm going to leave you. Whoa, really? How? Because, Jesus says, as long as I'm with you, the Holy Spirit, the helper, cannot come. So the coming of the Holy Spirit is good and necessary. Why? Well, I suppose if you stop and think about that, as long as Jesus was on earth, he could do wonderful things, telling people about God, revealing his glory to them, uh, changing lives, saving people there in that place, in that part of the world. But but how is that going to happen across the world? We can't all go and be with Jesus all the time. I mean, we couldn't, you know, if we all crowded around him, some of us would be right at the front and most of us would be, it's too far back to hear a word he said. But when the Spirit comes, he's going to take the work of Jesus to every part of the world through the people who follow Jesus. Do you see that? So the work of Jesus, the presence of Jesus can be everywhere in the world because the Spirit will come. And what he will do is he will convict of sin and righteousness and judgment, Jesus says. He's going to show people what is wrong, what is right, and the consequences of doing what is wrong. He's going to reveal to people the true story of our world, the real conflict, which is not to say the conflicts in the news aren't real. Don't don't mishear me. But behind all of that, is a deeper problem, isn't it? A conflict, even our own conflict here, deeper is that what's going on in people's hearts? Sin and the righteousness of God 
and the judgment of God that is to come and the need to get right with God. That's what the Spirit will do. And he will reveal and glorify Jesus. Jesus says that the Father has given to Jesus and the Spirit will take from what the Father has given to Jesus and will pass it on to other people. There's a a beautiful thing there. When Jesus was on the earth, he said that the Father, he did what the Father told him to do. He passed on what the Father gave him. And he says, the Spirit is going to do the same thing. He's going to show you me. He's going to give glory to me. The Spirit always wants our focus to be on Jesus. We said that last time. Well, let's go back a couple of chapters to John 14. And so this is within the same, the same uh, talk that Jesus gives, the same time that he's with them. John 14, 15 to 27. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Let a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. These are precious words that the Lord Jesus spoke to those disciples, but he speaks about the Spirit, and he describes the Spirit as a helper, another helper. You notice that. So I'm going to leave you, but the Father is going to send another helper, Someone who will do the same thing for them that Jesus did for them while he was there on earth. And who will do the same thing for you and for me that Jesus did for the disciples when he was on earth. So we don't have Jesus physically here, but we've got the presence of Jesus with us, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says he will be with you forever, permanently. This is one of the big things that shifts from the Old Testament where he anoints people for a time for service. But even David had to pray in the Psalms, don't take your Holy Spirit from me because he knew what had happened to Saul who was king before him who had been anointed uh, and the Lord withdrew his spirit from him. But Jesus says, because you are mine, the spirit will live with you forever, permanently. He says, the Father and I will make our home with you. That's what the Spirit does. He takes up residence. He makes his home in your life. 
And that brings the, the presence and the power of God into your life. And what he does is to produce in us the qualities of Jesus. Jesus says, you'll obey my commandments. The Spirit is coming to enable us to do that, to love. And truth, he's the spirit of truth. He's going to teach us and show us what is true. He says, Jesus, to the disciples, the spirit will remind you of the things I've taught you, and he will show you new things that I can't tell you now, that you can't understand yet. Now, that's speaking especially about what those disciples would do in writing the books that make up the New Testament. But the Spirit is the one who inspired all of the Bible. And Jesus says, my peace I give you. Well, how do you have the peace of God in your life? It is a work of the Spirit of God in you. Now, if you look at that, there are four S words. Some of you know by now I like my alliteration. So saving, sealing, I'll explain why I use that word in a moment, showing and shaping. So the Spirit is involved in our salvation. The Spirit is involved in keeping us in Jesus, sealing us. The Spirit is involved in showing us Jesus, and He is involved in shaping us to be like Jesus. So let's think about each of those in turn. The Spirit saves us in Jesus or through Jesus. Now, I want to be careful about that because it's Jesus who is the Savior. He did what was necessary to save us, dying on the cross for our sins. But it is the Holy Spirit who takes the work that Jesus has done and it apply, he applies it to your life. Or maybe it's better to think that the Spirit is the one who takes you and includes you in what Jesus has done, okay? I kind of always default as I started out life, working life as a doctor, I think you know. So I sort of think, well, Jesus has written the prescription and the Spirit's the one who, you know, probably puts the, the drug into your mouth, makes you swallow it or whatever. But, or maybe it's better to think that he takes you and he, he throws you into the, the, the vat of what Jesus has accomplished, this big pool of blessing. That's what he does. He includes you in Jesus. So he gives you new birth. As Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you're born again of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You need to be born again by the Spirit of God. He gives you new life. And as Peter writes in 1 Peter, which you've been looking at recently in the mornings, you have been born again not of perishable seed but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. The Spirit takes the seed of God's word. That's a picture Jesus used, isn't it? The seed that is sown. And he, he germinates it in your life. He's the one who makes it grow in you so that you are born again as you believe in Jesus. He gives you a new beginning. Paul writes to Titus, God saved us not of by, because of works that we have done, in, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. A new beginning. You're washed clean. You're baptized in the Spirit. The old you is washed away. You are regenerated. A new beginning. Renewed. That's what the Spirit does. And a new position. 
You were washed, Paul writes to the Corinthians. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The Spirit takes the justification made right with God that Jesus accomplished on the cross and he applies it to your life. It is by the Spirit that we are saved or through the Spirit that we are saved by the Lord Jesus. But the Spirit seals us in Jesus. He doesn't just bring you into the family of God. He doesn't just give you this new life. He keeps you. He guarantees glory for you. Look at what Paul says to the Ephesians. In Jesus also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. You see what Paul is saying there? That picture of seals, I guess we don't, not many of us, like when do any of us post letters anymore, maybe you still post your Christmas cards, but you probably don't seal them. I remember all those Valentine's cards, S-W-A-L, it was even better if it had an L before the K, wasn't it? Sometimes it was just S-W-A-K, sealed with a kiss or with a loving kiss. But the seal, you've probably seen it in the old movies, the wax seal and the stamp of authority. The Spirit is the seal of God on your life to say this person belongs to me and nobody else better interfere with them. (laughs) Anybody else breaks the seal? Well, you couldn't. You can't break the seal of God, can you? You are under his authority. You belong to him. He's going to hold on to you. And there is the guarantee that you don't just have to sit back and wait until the inheritance that is to come when Jesus comes again. God has given you his spirit now as a guarantee of that. You can know something of God's future glory now. Not the full thing. We were talking earlier about getting older and the the body's going to get weaker and older. But, But inside, the Apostle Paul says, renewed every day. New life, fresh. That's what the Spirit wants to do in you. And he wants to assure you of the love of God for you and the fact that you are the son, the child of God, an heir of God in Christ. God's love, Paul writes to the Romans, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, He himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Spirit of God wants to tell you and whisper in your ear and say you are loved by God. He wants you to know the love of God, not just as an idea that somebody preached to you or wrote about, but as a reality in your life. And the Spirit of God helps us to endure in the will of God. Also in Romans, Paul says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Do you see that? This is not just sort of pie in the sky when you die. We wait for the inheritance to come. It's stake on the plate while you wait, as someone has said. It's actually now knowing the love of God and the help of the Holy Spirit. We don't know what to pray. We were saying that earlier. Sometimes we don't. But the Spirit intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches our hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people, the saints, according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit is praying for you. He's praying that God's will would be done in your life and through you. So the Spirit doesn't just 
get us into the family of God. He keeps on working in our lives, reminding us of God's love and keeping us in the will of God. And all the time, the Spirit is showing us Jesus. He reveals Christ to us. The reason he inspired this book, and he did, he carried the authors along, Peter writes in 2 Peter, so that they wrote down God's truth. The reason he did it was to show you Jesus. And as you read it, he wants to show you Jesus. So the Apostle Paul says, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is helping you to see Jesus. He gives you freedom to see who Jesus is. Not to see him physically with these eyes, but with the eyes of faith. The eyes of the heart. As you read the word of God, as you hear the preaching of God's word, that's what Paul is saying. If you read in the wider context, he makes that clear. We preach, he says, we, we preach Christ. And what the Spirit of God does is to open your eyes to see how wonderful Jesus is. And then as you read the word of God, he illuminates it. First Corinthians, Paul says, we have not received the spirit of the world, but a spirit, the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given by God. The things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned. God has given you your, the Spirit so that you can understand what God wants you to know. And the Spirit gives wisdom to know Jesus more. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. <laughs> That's what the Spirit wants to do. He wants you to know God more. He wants you to know Jesus more. And he doesn't just want you to know him because as the first verse on the screen says, the first passage, that as we look at Jesus, we are transformed, we are changed. And the Spirit shapes us to become like Jesus. Remember what Jesus said, that the peace, I leave my peace with you. You're going to obey my commands. We're going to become like Jesus. The Spirit gives us new desires and priorities. Paul writes to the Romans, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. I'll say more next week about that flesh-spirit thing. But you see what he's saying, that, that the Spirit wants you to think about the things that God thinks about. He wants you to, to care about the things that matter to God more than the things that matter to your body and, and this world. God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. The Spirit wants you to be holy, to live for God, to leave sin behind. Again, more about that next week. And of course, the Spirit gives you gifts because shaping us to be like Jesus is not just about what the Spirit will do in your life as an individual, but what he's going to do in your lives together as a church, our life together as the church. And the way the Spirit is going to shape you to be like Jesus is through the other people around you. <laughs> okay? 
That's how he's going to do it. He's going to do it because he's given gifts to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for everyone's good. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. See, the Spirit has given you something that you can bring that will be a blessing to other people. Now, a little bit more about that, and we can't read three chapters in 1 Corinthians, but I will say some things that come up there, because this is often where then people get confused about spiritual gifts. But that chapter begins by, by talking about the unity that we have as believers, as Christians together. It says that there is one confession that we share that Jesus is Lord. Now, that's the very simplest statement of Christian faith, isn't it? That Jesus is Lord. And the Spirit causes us to say that, Paul writes to the Corinthians. And there is the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God that we all share. But he gives us different gifts. So there is unity and then there is diversity. The things that God has given you to do for him are not the same as the things he's given me to do. And it's really interesting because when we think about spiritual gifts, I don't know about you, but I find that most people tend to think, oh, those are abilities that God gives us. So a gift of preaching or a gift of praying or a gift of maybe music, that's not kind of one that's mentioned in the Bible, but those are gifts that God gives, abilities that we have that I can use. But when you look carefully at those chapters, you find that it's a whole mixture of things. Some of the gifts that are there are people. Paul says God has given apostles and prophets and, 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 and evangelists and teachers. That's not an ability. Those are people that the, the God has given to the church. And some of them are abilities, the ability to speak in another language and tongues and so on. That's clearly an ability. But some of them seem to be more like opportunities to bless somebody else and he uses the word we read it a minute ago, manifestations of the Spirit. In other words, I think what Paul, Paul isn't sort of saying, go and find out your gifts because that's the thing you should do and nothing else. What Paul is saying is this. In the body of Christ, in the church, there's all of these other people. Open your eyes and see the needs that are there and then say, Lord, what have you given me that I can use to meet those needs? How can I help to bring health to the body? How can I help somebody else to know you a bit more, to love you a bit more? That's what the Spirit's doing, so that's what he wants you to be doing, do you see? That's what he's going to move you to do, and he will give you abilities. So I'm not saying everybody, in fact, Paul is very clear. There's no one person gets all the gifts. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. But the Lord will give to his body the gifts that are needed to keep it healthy. So say to him, Lord, Whatever it is you want me to do, whatever contribution you want me to bring, would you make me able to do it? Would you give me an opportunity and show me that? Would you give me the strength that I'm going to need to do it? The courage maybe to do it? That's how spiritual gifting is meant to work. And the Spirit gives us what we need. But Paul also has this funny wee phrase. He talks about the higher gifts or the greater gifts. In other words, he's saying there are some gifts that are even more important. All the gifts are important. He talks about the body of Christ. 
And if you think about your body, every part of your body is important. Even the appendix now they know is not just sort of redundant. It has some useful purpose. But you can live without an appendix. Don't worry if you've had yours removed, okay? But there's bits of your body you really can't live without, your brain, okay? <laughs> some of you might think some of us do some of the time. <laughs> My wife might say that. But actually you can't. You can't live without your heart. And there are gifts that are, well, I guess the thing is this, that when they go wrong, the damage to the body is quicker and greater. And those are the gifts of teaching. That's why they're higher gifts, because actually the impact when those go wrong is to destroy the health of the body very, very quickly. And so there are gifts that, that have a greater impact on the health of the body. But Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 13, beautiful chapter about love. The key thing is this, that whatever gifts God has given you, that you learn to use them in faith, hope, and love. Trusting God in what he's going to do in the church with what you bring. You might think it's only a little thing that you can bring, like the wee boy who brought his loaves and fish. Think of what Jesus did with that. So bring what you can, trusting God and hoping in God and in one another as to what God could do in the lives of one another and in the life of your church and loving each other. Above all, loving. Because if you have any gift, it doesn't matter how impressive it looks. It's a big mistake we make. We get think, oh, it's all about, that's really dramatic, that gift. Have you seen that boy preach? Have you heard about that thing that was happening in that church over there? And it all looks spectacular. But if it's not done in love, Paul says, it is worthless and pointless. And then he says in chapter 14 that when the church is together, these gifts are to be used in a decent and orderly way to build other people up. God doesn't give you gifts just so that you can go and show off with them. (laughs) He doesn't give you gifts so that you can just enjoy doing that thing, although it is a wonderful thing to serve God with the gifts he's given you. He gives them to you so that you can build other people up. And Paul says, that means if we're going to use those gifts, and he talks about the gift of tongues, and he says, therefore, it would be silly to to go and talk in a language that people can't understand. I mean, you can blether on in that language and, and, and you might enjoy it and feel very blessed, but nobody else is going to get anything from it. So don't do it. If there's no interpretation, don't do it. Stay at home. Just do that at home. When you come together, if you're going to speak, speak in words that can be understood. And church meetings, and he talks about that, and it's a study you could do on its own. They have to be orderly. I did say this two weeks ago. Some people think when the Spirit's really at work, it all goes a bit nuts, (laughs) okay? That's simply the opposite of what the Apostle Paul says. What he says is that when you use the gifts the Spirit gives with his power in love, which he brings, it's going to be orderly. People will, will feel like things are being put back together, and making more sense, and more stable, not more chaotic, and more disorderly. Now, another question. All of these spiritual gifts, and this is another one that people ask, and maybe you want to ask that in a different way next week. That's fine. But are all of the gifts that are mentioned in the Bible that the Spirit gives for today? Well, I'm going to say, first of all, no, they are not all, because one of them in that chapter, and I mentioned it earlier, is apostles. It says, first of all, he gave apostles. 
And it's very clear if you look at the, the New Testament that an apostle of Christ is someone who was taught directly by Jesus, a witness of Jesus risen from the dead. So that's people like the 12 and then the apostle Paul who met Jesus in a special way. And they were given authority from Jesus to lay the foundations for the church. So Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus appeared to all the apostles and last of all to me, like somebody born at the wrong time because it was in a weird way. In other words, there are no more apostles, okay? Those apostles were there, apostles of Christ, to lay the foundation of the church. But then there are some other gifts that people say, well, are those gifts around today? Healings and tongues, speaking in tongues and prophecy. Well, let me say just a little bit about each of those. Because first thing I'll say is I don't see, and there are folks who will say that they can see in the New Testament uh, a sort of reason for saying those gifts would have stopped, but I don't see that in the Bible, okay? I don't think, I think that's stretching it a bit. But I think it is true to say that if you look at the history of the church, sometimes you see things that look like this and sometimes you don't, okay? So it doesn't seem like those are always there, but also there are reasons to understand that those things were there in the very early days in a special way. So think about each of those healings. When you look at the Bible, actually, you might sort of think, or people out there might think, well, there's healings everywhere in the Bible. God's always doing miracles, as we would call them. But actually, that's not true. There are three times in, in history when God did lots of miracles. That was with Moses and his brother Aaron. It was with Joshua and the, uh, or sorry, not Joshua, that was just after Moses. It was with Elijah and Elisha, and then with Jesus and the apostles. And the miracles that Jesus did, those kinds of miracles, those kinds of healings, which the apostles also did in Acts, were showing that God was doing something new. So it was really important that it was clear that the apostles that Jesus appointed were continuing the work of Jesus, or he was continuing his work through them that the things they were teaching were the things that the Holy Spirit was leading them into that were adding to what Jesus had taught. So there was a special reason for lots of miracles and lots of healings at that time. And that's not to say that God cannot heal people today. God is God. He is sovereign. He can do as he sovereignly chooses to do. But there is a bit of a difference because healings are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12. It talks about gifts of healing. And I'm going to suggest to you that the way Paul words that is almost suggesting that each time God heals, that is a gift from God. Of course it is. It's not talking about gifted healers. I think we go wrong when people think that, and you'll see that in some places. That's the faith healer or the gifted healer. You go to that person and they will heal you. It's not like that. In Corinthians or in James, in those epistles, it says in James, go and ask the elders of the church and they'll pray for you. In other words, it's not the spectacular healer that you have to go and seek out. It's praying to God, Lord, if you want to heal me, would you heal me? but also trusting him if he doesn't. So I think God can heal, but I don't see, and I have heard some reports of 
miraculous healings and sadly when you when i've looked into them or i've known other people who have for example doctors who were told about this miraculous healing they looked up the case notes and they could see actually that the disease the person was told they had that disease but they never actually had it it was a mistake and of course they took it as a healing now i don't mean to belittle the thanks that we should give to god in those circumstances if god heals you through a doctor or just because your body heals itself and gets over the COVID or whatever, then give thanks to God. And if he heals you with a miracle, give thanks to God. But we can't demand that God will heal everything. That's just not what the Bible teaches. At least not now. <laughs> he will heal everything when Christ returns. What about the gift of tongues? Well, in the New Testament, the gift of tongues, certainly in Acts, was, was being able to speak in other languages or to be understood by speakers of other languages. There is what people call the gift of tongues today, which sounds more like, a, doesn't sound like real languages, and it's been studied, and it doesn't seem to have all the, the features of a language. It sounds more like repeated sounds. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've even used that. I've certainly heard it. And I'm not sure at all, really, that that is the, the, the biblical gift of tongues, but some people will say, well, it's not another language, but it's a heavenly language, or it comes from God. I've known people who do that and pray that way. They say they're praying in tongues, and they're godly people who love the Lord Jesus. So I don't want to judge them or, or condemn that. But what I will say is that, that what is very clear, and I said this earlier in the New Testament in Paul's writing, is that tongues is not something. If, if God gives it to you and there's no interpretation and he doesn't tell you what those things mean, then keep it to yourself. <laughs> That's what Paul says. And I sadly have seen, and maybe you have two places where people say that they're praying in tongues, but there's no interpretation, there's no orderliness. It doesn't fit what Paul is describing. So, Leaving a wee question, happy to talk about that more next week. I don't know the answer as to whether some of what is described as the gift of tongues today is. What I would say is, I did pray at a time when I was exposed to that and said, Lord, if that's a gift you want me to have, would you give it to me? And he didn't, okay? So, um, and I say that to say that don't be fooled. If somebody says to you, oh, because you don't pray in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit, or because you don't pray in tongues, you don't know Jesus, or you're missing out on something, or you're not as good or as holy, that is simply wrong. Okay, it is not having a spiritual gift that tells you that you have the Holy Spirit. It's having faith in Jesus, and wanting to be like Jesus, and wanting to tell people about Jesus that shows that you've got the Holy Spirit. And what about prophecy? Well, prophecy was clearly there. It's described in 1 Corinthians 12. But the key thing here is to recognize it's not like the Old Testament prophets. I said that the Spirit inspired their writings so that their writings are utterly true. They are the Word of God. They said, this is what God says, thus saith the Lord. But it's clear that prophecy in the New Testament wasn't like that. It is a message from God for his people. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 that when one person brings a message and says, I think this is what God is saying to us, the other prophets, the other people, probably also the elders in the church should be saying, well, actually, we're going to weigh that up. And we need to weigh it up to see, well, if that is what God is saying to us, what are we meant to do with it? Okay. It's not a, this is what God says and you must all obey now. It's actually, well, let's think about that. Let's weigh it up. 
Or in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, don't despise prophecies, but test everything and hold on to what is good. Now, partly that's because there's a lot of counterfeit. You see, Satan can do all of these things as well. How do you know if it's from Satan or from God? Well, only the Holy Spirit will say Jesus is Lord. Only the Holy Spirit will lead people to love God more. Only the Holy Spirit will show you Jesus more. Only he will help you to understand the word of God more. And, and that's how you know. So how do, we, how do we recognize? So again, God might, I mean, you might think, well, I think God is saying this to me. But that doesn't mean you should go on the internet and say, here's the latest prophecy for the church. It means you should come to the church and to the elders of the church and say, do you think I've got it right? <laughs> do you think that is what God is saying? And, and, and they will pray and ask, well, Lord, is that what you're saying to us? Is that what you want us to do? So we're open to the voice of God. God can speak to us through the Holy Spirit. But we're not going to just be swept along by everything that claims to be from God. Whether that's healings or something that looks spectacular or words that claim to be from God. But as I finish, how do you know? So if that's not how you know, I've said this is not how you know that somebody has the Spirit or is filled with the Spirit. It's not because they speak in tongues. It's not because they do miracles left, right, and center. It's not because of anything that they're able to do. It's not even because they stand up and preach eloquently or uh, serve in any other way. Those are the gifts the Spirit gives. But the things that tell us that a, a person is filled by the Spirit is, yes, they have power, as Jesus said the Spirit would give, to stand for Jesus, to speak for Jesus, to serve for Jesus. But they do it in a way that is like Jesus, with faith. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Barnabas, a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. They're trusting in God to do what God will do, not trusting in themselves. And they're full of joy. In Acts, the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. The Thessalonians received the word in much affliction with joy, the joy of the Holy Spirit. And they're full of wisdom, like Stephen and the other seven. When they spoke, there was wisdom that the Spirit gave. And of course, above all, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. That's how you know a person who is really filled by the Spirit. They're growing in faith. They're growing in joy. They're growing in wisdom. They're growing in love. I think we all need a bit more of those things, don't we? <laughs> So we could pray again, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you fill us and make us like that? Let me pray for you as we finish. Father, we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit who saves us and seals us, who shows us Jesus and who shapes us to be like Jesus. Father, I need to become a whole lot more like Jesus. Each one of us does. So would you, by your Spirit, increase our faith and our joy. Give us wisdom. Help us to love. Father, continue that work in us. Help us to look much at Jesus, and as we look at him, to be changed to become like him. It's a wonderful thing to know that your Spirit gives us gifts to serve you, to build others up. But the most wonderful thing of all is to know that he includes us in Jesus so that we are saved from our sins 
and that he is going to continue your work of holding on to us and making us more like Jesus until we see Jesus face to face. Do that work in us, we pray. Fill us with your spirit so that we might see Jesus and become like him. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.